Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Gene Baresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. And I'm Ellen Broughton. And today we're going to be talking about something that's incredibly complicated and not simple at all, and that is that these kids who are, what's the word, incarcerated, detained, have been taken away from their parents against their will at the behest of the United States government at the border and housed in separate places, and they don't know when they'll see their parents again. And the parents don't know if and when they'll ever see their kids again. They don't even know how. They don't even know how. Some of the kids have been yeah. flown to different areas of the country. Right. They don't even know where their so, kids so are. So I'm going to push back on your saying this is incredibly complicated. It's, it's not. Um, this is wrong. Like it's like to me, that's a fairly straightforward. How we got here is complicated. What we do about it is complicated. But the problem, it's it's bad. Like this is a bad thing for us to have done, and we got to fix it. Right. So you're right. The 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 actual problem is fairly simple and straightforward. It's immoral. It's unethical, and it's not what I would consider the United States of America would be doing. If any other country in the world had done this, we would be calling this a civil rights. A human rights violation, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's simple. Well, being, we have. It's we called, have called yes. it that in but, other places. And, and, yeah. and I'm surprised that... And it is being called that right now by other places. Yes. Well, yeah. And they should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe if we have time, we can talk about what's complicated, and that is what we as clinicians can do when we're faced with kids and parents who are under such uh, incredible stress. Yeah. Because that's really... Yeah, which is which is most parents these days, I would say. Oh, most, uh, most parents are yeah. feeling very stressed just by the the, the thought of this. Yeah. It's even, terrifying. Even yeah. the parents who are not involved, many of the immigrant parents in our own communities and around the country who are hearing and seeing this on the media and their kids are stressed and worried that this can happen to them because yes. if this can happen to like people crossing the border, why can't it happen, you know, in their in, in their own hometown? Even non-immigrant, even I don't know what non-immigrant means since we all were immigrants at some point in this in this right. nation. But even folks who would not ordinarily be sort of thought of as first-generation Americans, let's put it that way, it's scary for them to think about. It's very it, scary. Yes, because it's... you don't know where these lines end and begin. Little kids who are hearing this on the news, we've said this before in this program, we'll say it again. When little kids hear these little snippets of news, what they get from it is somebody might take me away from my mom and dad. That's right. Yeah. You know, and so this is the way we could talk about how this affects those kids down the board, and we ought to, but I think we would not be doing a service unless we also addressed how it's affecting yeah. the whole nation. I think one of the things you bring up is very important. One of the most frightening things for children in, in tons of research that's been done about kids' fears, the number one thing is being left without a parent, losing a parent. And so there's, in in this whole story, there are kids who actually are being left without parents. Separation anxiety. Exactly. And then then there are other children who are seeing their most, their worst fears day after day. And people are talking about it. Adults are talking about it. So they're seeing their worst fears being played out on the news. So so they don't really understand that this is not something that is, is somewhat circumscribed, but perhaps something that could happen to anybody. Right. So when, when, a, when, a, when a, an infant under, say, nine months, which is about when separation anxiety takes place, you know, feels that panic of being t- of, of of not having the 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 touch and the feel and the smell of a parent holding them and they're freaking out what do we do we pick them up and we hold them and imagine the infants and and toddlers 
who are experiencing, who are in that stage, who don't have anyone to hold them or touch them or even pay attention to them, and they're in these tent cities that nobody even has an inkling about what they're like. It, right. I, we should, you know, we need to be careful here. I think the people working in those tent cities are really doing the very best they can. I, 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 I don't know that, actually. Well, I mean, I, the I best don't. they can with the resources they have. I, I'm just trying right. to imagine I, someone who I, wouldn't give I, to I, kids I, in need. Um, Maybe I'd I, be naive. I don't know. I don't know. I just think that well, we all of my hopes and, and stereotypes about kids being – I've just seen in terms of how this policy is played out – that doesn't fit. It, it, for, well, that's for, a good point. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I don't, yeah. I don't know about the yeah, quality because, of the people. If that were the case, we would have undid this policy. Well, right. And right. The, and the so other, so yeah. I don't really know that the people do. I'd like to well, think they, they that. They can't possibly. Look, a parent is one-to-one. And they're not, they're not how many infants and toddlers are know. there. We don't know if there's one-to-one contact. Well, that's a there different isn't. question. There, yeah. that is a, we know for a fact that's not the case. Yeah. What I'm wondering about is... Let's say it's one to five hundred, which is which is outrageous. Let's say we're one to fifty, which is outrageous. Let's, no matter what the ratio, are the people who are doing this? Are they just going through the motions? Is this a Romanian orphanage, right. or are they actually? We don't know. Um, doing right. the best they can with just unconscionable resources. Even we, if they are doing the best they can, imagine the stress. I mean, you know, imagine the stress and the horror of their doing their daily job. Right, so I mean, you kind of think like who, uh, you just don't know. The, we have okay. no. There's there's no the, licensed professionals. There's no. I mean, we we, read well, we don't know. One, we don't. Right. Yeah. So there's um, a lot I, of uncertainty. Well, there's a lot I, of uncertainty. But look, let's let's it, let's let's talk about what it does mean to the kids. You know, regardless. I mean, so we know that infants and toddlers need a lot of physical contact. They need loving attention. They need a lot of care. But what about what about the, the 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 school age kids? What about what about kids say five to to, to twelve? What are they what what are they thinking? What are they feeling when they're stripped from their parents? It's, it's it's hard. It's very very hard to know. But we know that kids love consistency. Um, they are highly anxious when they lose their parents. It's again one of the worst things that kids think that could happen to them. That's why fairy tales are filled with with stories right. about kids' fears because they can read about it and, yeah. and and process it in fantasy. This is happening them to them in, in, in real time. So I think they need consistency and we again don't have any idea whether that's happening or not. Are they getting proper education? Are they getting proper nutrition? What about you know, a, a sense of community. Uh, it's it's hard to know. I mean, it sounds like an orphanage sort of situation. Well, a bad orphanage. Which, a bad orphanage. Right. And we yeah. we know that orphanage orphanages don't. It's not the best way of of, of no, taking a lot care of kids. That's why we have a foster kid system. And so we don't. We know that that's a really bad way to care for kids in general. And and so. I, we can assume that they're not being well cared for. I mean, this is my opinion. I don't really know, but that's, well, that but would also, be my and, and assumption. Then, and then factor in other things here. Um, one of the so, – so when you look at the things that are so frightening to kids, number one is this either losing a parent or being removed from a parent or having mm-hmm. a parent disappear or that, something right. like that. The next one is not understanding your surroundings. Not That's why consistency matters so mm-hmm. much. So school-age kids like to know what's going to happen. They know when the bell rings. They get to, you know, this is obviously a suburban reference, but they know when the bell rings, they get to go school. do this. <clears throat> right. These Structure. kids don't all speak the same language. 
they speak different dialects in the same language. They're at different, massively different educational um, levels. Yes, they have traveled a great distance, and I know that there are people who are rushing to sort of say, well, had their parents not brought them, that wouldn't be the case. I don't think that should be our concern as child psychiatrists. Our concern is for their well-being, and their well-being requires us to know where they are academically, emotionally, intellectually, right. physically, nutritionally, mm-hmm. and then to meet their needs. Right. And I think th- another thing, just back to your point, too, and I, I totally agree with what you said, Steve, is um, in terms of their development, moral development is very important at this stage. Yes. And they have a very strong sense of right or wrong. That's why, you know, kids in that school age, they love to play games that have rules. They love Four to know that there's a Four fouls is out every single time right, in kickball. Exactly. Doesn't matter what. And they want so, to know what the rules and are. And they want to know what the rules are. And this is not. This is well, frightening for them. There are um, no. I mean, they, they, we don't know what the rules are. And and, know, and then they want to know the good guys from the bad guys. Yes, and they, they do. And, and, yes. and, and they see the world in black and white terms. Mm-hmm. And right now, who they see the world in pretty black terms, and they're stuck in that dark so, place. So this is like where I get. <laughs> I, I can tell your anger. Yeah, well, I just can't <laughs> shake this image. So, so I could imagine somebody saying, look, we had no choice. I, I don't agree with this at all, but I can imagine somebody saying that. We had no choice. Let us show you that we have met all of these things and giving us a tour. And I just can't help but to flash back to tours of similar detention centers in the past history of the world right. that have not been good, right, yep. that have been showcases. So – you know, you keep saying they may not have, they might not have, and I keep thinking, well, we don't know if they have. But then I keep thinking, I don't know how we'll ever know that they do have. Like how we can trust. Well, even if they, right, e- right. Look, we can't. E- even, we can't. E- look, yeah. e- even even if even if their environment is reasonable, whatever that means, um, it's still a trauma for kids at all different ages. Even the teenagers. Now, the teenagers, just to move it along, they know they 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 can think. They can understand justice versus, you know, and virtue. Their 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 abilities to kind of like grasp things abstractly are profound. But they also know that they're being viewed potentially as gang members, as you know, criminals. I mean, how can they? How can they? What what kind? And, and adolescents are concerned about their identity and who am I and who do I belong to and how can I be autonomous and. And yet, if they're if they're being viewed as kind of hostile gang members and all, you know, what does it mean for a teenager to be seen that way? I think, I mean, I've I've seen teenagers that way. I've not seen these teenagers currently who are in these detention centers, but I think they give up on the possibility of being something other than what they're being scripted to be. At least there's the risk of that. The risk. It, it becomes that much harder for them to have their own identity because they've been told what their identity is already. We do that as a culture all the time, but this is particularly yeah. insidious. And, and, and I think that they – if they didn't have an identity before they came, of course, like you said, adolescence is a process of, of figuring out who you are. Yeah. We might – be creating an identity for them, which is sort of what you're saying, yeah. Steve, that that it isn't really something they would have chosen well, for themselves. And and um, the, the ideas that they're grappling with, like moral development and what is right and what is wrong and, and who can I trust and is there anyone I can trust, I think all of these things, we might be creating a, a – you know, they're going to go back to their 
countries of origin, Maybe. perhaps, or, we don't know. or or stay they, here. But but what the beliefs that they have are, are going to influence other well, adolescents. So, so there's yeah, that that actually brings up a, a really interesting point for me, which is if uh, this is not meant to be a partisan statement here, but if they're watching the news, have access to the news, and and they hear things that are just factually untrue, which we know it's, it's not like. You know, this is not a political comment. This is just a fact. It is a fact that they are not all criminals. That is a, just a plain fact. We don't know that right. any of them are criminals. Right. Right. In right. fact, I, most I, of I them are escaping criminals, we think, right. but, for asylum. But just right. but, stopping – let's – given I, that fact, and yet they see the leaders of the nation saying this, that they are, Right. what does that do about their relationship with the truth? which is a really important thing for adolescents to get their arms around. I, I, we, want, we want all our teenagers to get to, to be able to know the difference between what's true and what's, right. what's, what's also what's right. the strength of truth over the strength of something that's, that's right. right. But I, I also feel we just need to say it, it what I, I think is, or what I've heard, and I hope this is true, is that the adolescents who are in these detention centers, they're, they're not criminals because they would have been prosecuted as criminals. They're, they're kids who have come. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. so I mean, yeah. I don't even think we should be talking about them. No. In, Except they, in are, being but they about, are being talked about. That's what I mean. That's right. I, I in know, the media, but that's we, exactly but, what they're hearing, yeah, if yeah. they're hearing it. But one it, thing that is true for all of these kids, and that is, is, is the result of trauma. And so when you know people use the word PTSD loosely, and I, 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 I don't know whether the listeners out there really kind of uh, uh, see it the way we've seen it. Because when we take care of kids and adults who have post-traumatic stress disorder, it's very, very scary. I mean, you know, the symptoms of flashbacks, of nightmares, of, of, of looking over your shoulder, of being vigilant, of not... Of, well, hold on. Let's, let's just break it down, just, just for listeners. Okay, well, so, so what are the there criteria? Are, there are, there's a triad of uh, symptoms or of classes of symptoms that makes somebody a PTSD. There's uh, the re-experiencing, which are the flashbacks. There's hypervigilance, and then there's numbing and constriction. There's those three, and most people conceptualize it as a as a kind of narrative. So you begin with hyper being hypervigilant because something's awful happened. So it's best for you to be on your guard all the time, but you can't maintain that biologically. You just can't. So then you start to um, constrict. You start to numb, but you're still working through the issue in your brain. Your brain's still trying to make sense of it. So then the experience busts through in the forms of these either flashbacks or in yeah. little kids' nightmares. That's, That's a really nice way of putting right. it together. So PTSD is mm-hmm. really rare when you look at it yeah. epidemiologically, 1%, 1 to 3% basically. These are kids who we can say with a fair amount of confidence are at very high risk for PTSD, higher than – much higher than the average population. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and it's yeah. potentially a lifelong um, uh, uh, illness. That, that changes the way their brain works. It changes yeah. the structure and the function of their brain. Yeah. Yeah, and permanently makes, makes it harder for them to learn, makes it harder for them to participate in learning, makes it harder for them to participate in, in society in the ways that we want them to. Now, it doesn't mean we can't fix it. We can, actually, but they need attention. No, but we have caused, we have caused brain damage in these children, and, and it is up to us or somebody, hopefully, to help correct that problem. Because one thing we do know, which is the positive side of this, is that there's plasticity of the brain. That means the brain is capable of changing. But one thing we also know is, as you were pointing out, Steve, is that post-traumatic stress disorder causes structural and functional brain changes. So I'm curious as to what you think about kids who are watching this or kids who are living in this 
we've really been sort of a, a culture of uncertainty. What do you think about the kid, the kids having PTSD just from sort of, it's not classic PTSD when you're really experiencing a major trauma. Well, well, there's a but this, on, there is yeah, a lot of literature. Yeah, on, people on who saw this, the Challenger spaceship go down on TV. Right. Yeah, people who so saw, I, saw 9-11. I mean, yeah. the adolescents yeah. in, 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 on the West Coast that watched it on television developed symptoms of post-traumatic that's, stress disorder. That's what I'm kind of worried there's about right influence. now is, is yeah. that there well. is there's this sort of chronic stress that might be happening to right. a lot of kids. Right. So it's sort of stunning when you think about it that in the space of a policy that was enacted about three weeks ago or a month ago, this amount of damage to kids both at the border, within our country, across multiple socioeconomic and ethnic groups can occur. Right. Like that's stunning. And and coming out of a winter where we had school shootings in the forefront, not that they have abated completely or weren't there before, but that, that we've been sort of bombarded, kids have been bombarded with these very tragic, completely scary events yeah. that I, I think that the chronic effects of stress. So, are, so that leads us to a, kind of a nice place to sort of wrap our arms around, you know, bringing this thing in for a landing, because we can talk about this forever. It's possible with all of this stuff coming at us all the time that people just give up. Right. They just throw their arms well, in the that's, air. That's, kids, adults, everybody, like, I don't care. I'll watch the ball game. And that's so. the notion of either desen- call it desensitization or call it, you know, helplessness. Yeah. Learn, Learn helplessness. helplessness. Learn helplessness yeah. is the technical term for it when you've been barraged with so much that you become helpless and then you just give up. Yeah, and it's it's more than just barrage. It's barraged with, and, and studies have shown in animals and people that if we are shocked too many times, if we have too many things that are traumatic and we can't get out of it. That's the thing. It's not necessarily the trauma itself. It's the trauma combined with this feeling that I can't do anything about right. it. And no matter what I do, these shocks will keep and, coming. And, and the fascinating about those studies, the thing I find most alarming is that after you get to that learned helplessness place, you can then open a door and right. let the and animal leave, but it doesn't. And it doesn't leave. It doesn't. You just, and, you, unless you exactly. help it out, it ain't going so right. to So let's talk about the, yeah. letting yeah. It help, help, help letting it out because it, it's, it's one potential uh, downside of, 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 or danger of watching and, and experiencing all these things on the news. But there are escape valves. For example, the kids from, from Parkland who you know, became activists didn't practice learn helplessness they actually took it on so, so how do we explain how do we explain so that, that is one well that's one of the co- ways to cope with learned helplessness or not allow it to develop is by actually doing something but the the thing is it's not just doing something it's thinking that you can do something right. thinking that oh, so right. so they had yeah. the thought that we can do something and there were people in their lives that said you can you can do something about this Believe you know you an- another thing though and this is where it's kind of difficult for us another thing that that helps us with uh, developing that learned helplessness is knowing what's coming so this is what's sort of hard right. like the news is a good thing in some ways because it sort of prepares us like oh well we've got this to now cope with in a way, it sort of it can cause learned helplessness, but it can also prevent against it. Yep. Well, and, so this is the the sort of classic, I guess, American, particularly American challenge with moderation. Yes, like the news is out yes. there twenty four seven. But we would probably be best if we could titrate, get yes. a good, yes. solid basis in what we need to know but titrate it so that we don't feel like we can't take action. It, listening to the news is not taking action. 
right? right. Taking right. action, taking action, right, right, right. And ta- and and I really feel. I, I mean, I can even say for myself, there are time, there are days when I just say, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to make that phone call to the to the, you know, so, yeah, to the senator, senator or to whatever. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't feel like it because I don't know if it'll do any good or or the or you even start to feel like, well, we know what this senator will vote on, so he doesn't need my phone call because he's going to vote for, and the ones who are going to like it's it's so split that it feels and that's so, really bad for kids. It's very think bad. about that. That's bad for us as a society, but it's especially bad for kids because we rely on the kids that we're bringing up to call their senators. That's and right. Vote. I mean, the, well, we yes. want the kids to have hope. We want them to have prospects for the future. We want them to feel that they can be pro-social and, and active. And that they have agency. And that they have agency. Right. Exactly. They can do something so about what, something. So what can we suggest to the listeners to help us help, help them get out of learned helplessness and become agents and responsible and grow up to feel that they have an ability to make a difference. Well, I, I think one of the things you said is titrate the news, be be uh, informed, but not overwhelmed. Okay. I also think to think in your mind, remember that that this will not last forever. Yeah. As, as bad as things have happened in the world, and the world has been in a much worse place than we feel <laughs> we are now, they will change. Yep. And we have to keep our eyes on that that it will this uh, and so that that's a sense of hopefulness and the way it changes is because people change themselves right. and, and we we have converse and we, we we create forums or help allow for forums of conversation so that 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 communities can form that can actually because as as you were you know suggesting steve to have agency you're not alone you've got to do it in a in a group as a group process yeah. you yeah, got to be so, part of a group so Community, almost the definition of community is the discovery of common ground of like no matter how different folks might feel from one another, there's usually some kind of binding principle that holds them together. We need to remember those binding principles, use them, be proud of those, you know, things that are worth being proud of and then take action teach our kids that they could actually change things that they don't feel are right. So as a call for action, should we be suggesting that um, we have we enable these kids to have conversations in every place possible, at home, in their schools, in their places of – in their community centers? Um, but I would not force it on them. No, not forcing it on them, but just offering it as an, as an opportunity. So if we want to talk about it, we can. Yeah, I, I even think like giving kids the idea that they will one day be in situations where they will influence policy. So to let them know that they will someday be, they can be politicians. They, I mean, we don't have to tell every child they're going to be president because they, they probably won't be. <laughs> they won't want to be either. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but, but to let them know they will be leaders someday. And even though it might feel like they can't do much now, they will be it before in we the, know it. In, in and, ways that they don't that maybe they anticipate. Right. Uh, you know, I, I tell my kids there was a there was a movement in the town I live in to get rid of the library, and enough people showed up at the town meeting, and they didn't get rid of the library. That's actually an example yeah, of like right. a, a time where some low level, you know, of community activism led to the preservation of something that more people valued than not. That's right. We had agency, and and I think that doesn't necessarily mean when I say leaders. Sometimes we we think that you know that, that's a lot of pressure to put on kids, but you're a leader if you're if you're teaching yeah. history in middle school. You're a leader if you're uh, you show up at a town it, meeting exactly. and you stand up and speak, right? You know, and so say, so that's this. where I think having giving them examples too of how that happens, I think, can help them feel much less hopeless. So I hope that we can revisit this discussion in some time and see that it's gotten better. That's, Me too. That's my 
fondest wish and, for and, this topic. And obviously. so, and so, we got to wrap up. But but let's um, ask um, the listeners that they can always um, email. Um, we'll have we'll have blogs and editorials on this on this important topic. Uh, send us your comments. Send us your thoughts. And um, uh, let's all put our heads together to kind of figure out how we can kind of make a difference. So thanks a lot for listening, everyone. I'm Gene Bereson. I'm Alan Broughton. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>